Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. So before I start today's message, I just want to remind us that we're going to be doing communion at the end of this message. So if you need to run to the fridge or to the pantry and get some juice or some bread, why don't you go and do that now and get ready so at the end of today's service we can have communion together. Uh, Just wanted to start by acknowledging that there's a lot of questions going around at the moment about, um, you know, why would God allow the coronavirus to have such a devastating impact over the whole world? Uh, Why would he allow it to affect so many people's health, so many people's economies and, and finances and, and all this stuff. And, and even so, why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he stop the coronavirus now before it gets out of control? And, and these are excellent questions. And I think th- these questions uh, fall into a, a broader category of why does God allow evil and suffering? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, and if God is so good and benevolent and loving and kind, why doesn't he stop these atrocities and these evils and this suffering in this life? And these are great questions. And, um, and I, I kind of love Tim Keller's response to these questions. Um, and he gives a very detailed intellectual response at length to this question that I'm not going to do justice if I was to try. But uh, in essence, what he says is that, first of all, we don't know exactly why God would allow or why God doesn't stop evil and suffering and pain in this world. And just because we don't know why doesn't mean there isn't a reason why he does. Um, He explains that, you know, it's really difficult for um, the imperfect humans to understand the perfect God. It's it's like a, a child trying to understand its parents doing the taxes. It's like it's just, it's incomprehensible for a small child to understand the complexities of something like that. And, and likewise, it can be hard for us to fully understand the perfect plan of God the Father. That's not to say there isn't a plan for suffering and evil, and there isn't a plan for him uh, to, to cease all these things. We just perhaps don't have the ability to fully understand. But what we do understand and what we do know is that God is not indifferent or uncaring towards us in our suffering. That we might not know the reasons why he allows or doesn't stop, but we do know that in our suffering, we are not alone. He does empathize with us because he himself entered humanity and suffered alongside us as Jesus. He came into this world. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to have pain. And he now empathizes with us. He now understands the limitations of humanity and promises that he'll be with us always, even to the ends of the age. And that's the hope that we have uh, in Jesus. And so hopefully, you know, that brings you a bit of peace. That brings you a little bit of hope um, in understanding uh, where is God and how does God allow these sorts of things to happen. And, um, and that's why I love Easter, because Easter is a reminder for me that Jesus came to earth to make a way for all of us to be reconnected with God the Father. And Easter is far more than just a, a well-needed mid-year break and 
Um, and this is something that we say to our atheist friends every year at Easter is, you know, if you don't believe in God, that's okay. But on behalf of him and his church, we just want to say you are welcome for the two public holidays and the long weekend that you get to enjoy. Um, but for the rest of us who have found hope and faith in Jesus, it is an incredibly significant time uh, in our year and it holds such, uh, a, such richness of truth and meaning for us. And so I want to look right now in John chapter 3, uh, verse 16 and 17. And this passage is possibly one of the most uh, recognizable passages in all of the Bible. And, and you'll see this on placards at sporting events and big um, uh, gatherings and things. Well, not anymore, but you used to see them at big gatherings. Um, and it's such a well-known passage. And I want to not just do verse 16, but I want to add verse 17 to bring a bit more of a broad context to this passage. And, and here's what John 3, 16 and 17 says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And verse 17 continues to say that God did not send his son to condemn the world, but by faith in him to save and rescue the world, which is incredible news for you and for me. So God sent his son to the world. That's what he did. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, and, and, and that's ultimately what we celebrate at Easter as well. The Easter story and the Christmas story are not two separate stories. They are the one story, part A, part B of the one narrative. And so God sent his son Jesus to this world. Let's look at how he did that. And we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, the story of how Jesus came to be. It says, now, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful man to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord had appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This passage in Matthew, right at the very end in verse 25, includes a prophecy that we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where Isaiah prophesies that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son who will redeem the world, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And that was written 700 years prior to Joseph's dream. And Joseph would have known about this scripture. Joseph was a good Jewish boy who would have read the scriptures, grown up with the scriptures, and would have understand that Isaiah had prophesied this coming Messiah and the angel reveals to Joseph in a dream that what he'd read and understood his whole life was now being outplayed through him and his fiancée, Mary. Incredible. Theologians call Jesus' entry into this world through a virgin the Immaculate Conception. It is nothing short of a miracle, biologically, physiologically, that Jesus would be uh, born through a woman who was a virgin, who had no way of giving birth to a child because she knew no man in that sense. So his entry was miraculous. This, this showed that to everyone around that he was no ordinary person. He was just not like Tom, Dick or Harry, that, that there was something divine, something special about this Jesus. So the question is to be begged, why? Why would God send his son 
into the world? Well, in order to fully understand that, we need to kind of do a bit of a history lesson and go right back to the very beginning. And in Genesis chapter 1, we get an insight into the, the origins of life, how God created the heavens and the earth. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the land, the seas, the animals, and, and everything we know and have experienced in creation, God created in the very beginning. And then as part of his crescendo of creation, God creates man and woman in his likeness. And in Genesis 1, we, we get a picture of perfection. That, that Eden was paradise, the earth was perfect, and the order of things was exactly as the divine God of heaven created it to be. It was amazing. And then two chapters later in, in Genesis chapter 3 is the fall, where Adam and Eve uh, break covenant with God. They rebel against God. God says, hey, enjoy this whole uh, life I've given you, but that one tree, just don't eat from that. And what do they do? They eat from that tree. And from that moment, sin entered the heart of humanity. And it started to spread much more severely than the coronavirus, much more severely than any other plague that's hit the nation or hit the world before. Uh, sin now permeates the heart and the DNA of every single human being that is born on planet Earth. It is incredibly pervasive and rampant in humanity. And then we see in chapter 6 this pervasiveness of sin starts to get worse and worse and it spirals out of control and the world becomes this debauched um, den of, of just absolute devilish behavior. And, and kind of like some of the pockets of society today, it becomes a pretty dark place. And so God decides that he's going to cleanse the whole earth. He's going to cleanse it of its glitchingness because of sin. I remember recently my modem at home broke down. It was just wigging out and glitching, and uh, I called tech support to see if I could get it fixed, and they gave me a few tips and tricks to try, and I did all the testing and, and things they wanted me to do, and nothing seemed to work. And then finally the, the tech guy said, hey, why don't you try this? At the very back of the modem is a tiny little pinhole, and if you get a little pin uh, or a needle, you can stick it inside that pinhole, and inside that hole is a tiny little button and that tiny little button will reset the whole device. And so sure enough, I found a little pin, I put it through the tiny little hole, I hit that microscopic button, and he was right. It reset the whole unit, the glitch that was once there was fixed. And so this is a sort of similar thing we see in Genesis chapter 6, that the whole world is glitching out with sin, and God sees a small pocket, a small little uh, little hole of, of righteousness, which is Noah and his family. And he says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you guys to reset this whole world. And so he preserves Noah and his family. And we know the story. Two of each animal come on the boat. God floods the whole earth and wipes out everybody in, in an attempt to cleanse the whole earth. He then gives Noah and his family the task of repopulating and regenerating the earth. And, and you would think from that moment on that, humanity would get its act in order, right? You would think we'd put our big boy pants on, pull our socks up, and actually get our life in order and follow God and his standards. But that's the problem with sin. It, it just corrupts us at the very core of who we are. And so we didn't learn from that. We didn't learn from this catastrophic event where God poured out his wrath upon the entire earth. And so what God did was God started to put a bunch of laws in place. He said, all right, well, I'll, I'll make it clear for you guys. Here are the rules. Here are the standards to live by. Um, and he then knew that we weren't good enough, smart enough, capable enough of actually fulfilling all those laws. So he appointed priests. 
And these priests would represent the people before God. And these priests would sacrifice animals as a way of atoning for the sins of the people to make them right again with God. And so uh, we see all throughout uh, the Old Testament that this sin um, sacrifice would happen. Um, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 teaches us that the wages of sin is death. That's because when we sin, the only just penalty for that sin should be death. And the reason for that is that God is perfect and God cannot interact with the imperfect. If we were standing in a room full of light and I had a box of darkness and I opened that box of darkness, what would immediately happen is, is the light would overcome that darkness and it would dissipate. There, there is not a chance, it's not physically possible for that, that darkness inside that box to leap out into that room of light and snuff out the light. Darkness does not have control over light, but light has control over darkness. And the darkness that exists in my heart and the darkness that exists in your heart because of sin and, and rebelliousness towards God prevents us from being in relationship with God because he is holy and because he is perfect. And so these, these sacrifices, these atonements where an animal was, was killed, the, the death penalty would be put upon that animal to then make the, the sins of, of that person cleansed so they could be right with God. And so they would use all sorts of animals. They'd use pigeons and they'd use uh, cows and, and all sorts of different things. But one of the, the, the main animals that they would use in Jewish culture that held such a rich significance for them would be lambs. And, and we see in, in Exodus the story of how Moses led the Israelite people out of slavery. For 300 or 430 years, they'd been kept in Egypt, enslaved uh, to the Egyptian people and um, made to, to work their fingers to the bone. And, and then Moses, after all these generations, rises up and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to God. I'm going to take these people out of slavery. And so then he enters, he enters into um, negotiations with Pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptian um, uh, county. And, and basically then God starts to send these plagues to get Pharaoh's attention. One after the other, there was frogs and flies and gnats and hail and turning water to blood and all these uh, incredible plagues of, uh, if you like, biblical proportions. And the very last plague was uh, where, where the angel of death would um, pass over the land and every firstborn son in every house would die. Unless, God had an escape clause, unless they would take a perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb kill that lamb as an atonement for that family and its blood would be smeared over the door frames of that household. And when the angel of death would pass over, that household would be saved and spared from the angel of death taking their firstborn son. And so that happens and, uh, and, and Pharaoh's firstborn son dies and, and that gets his attention. And, and so he lets the people go and they are set free from slavery uh, into freedom. And so from that moment on, for generation to generation to generation, the Jewish people would celebrate every year, like we would celebrate Christmas, they would celebrate the, the festival of the Passover, where the angel of death passed over, but the blood of the lamb protected them and then ultimately led them out of captivity and into freedom. And that's, that's the significance that the lamb holds in Jewish culture. 
And then if we were to fast forward from all the way back then to uh, what we see in biblical times in John chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 9, we see John the Baptist who is heralding the, uh, the entry of Jesus as the Messiah. He is like a town crier rallying people around. Like, hey, hey, Jesus is here, everybody. And he says something incredibly interesting. He says something that you and I in our 21st century culture with the, the worldly lens we have wouldn't really understand. It would probably just wash over us. But he says this thing. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we go, cool, that's it's great, that's nice. But if you were reading that when it was first written in first century Jewish culture, that behold, here is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Basically, what, what they would be hearing is dead man walking. There is a dead man walking because we know the significance of what a lamb holds in our culture, especially when it comes to taking away sin. He's going to die. But we knew something was special about him. Because he was born of a virgin. And he sort of laid low for a while. We didn't hear much about him. He became a chippy. And maybe, could it be, possible? maybe he is the Messiah. If John is saying that he is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe all the, all the prophecies we've read in, in, in our scriptures, maybe what Isaiah said 700 years earlier is true. Maybe this is God with us, the Messiah come to rescue his people and, and bring a brand new covenant between God and creation once more. And we see this in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. He gives us a very concise uh, summary of, of how this all works. One, uh, Peter says, Knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. That's the gospel message. That we were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. That depravity and that sinfulness that we discovered all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the climax in Genesis chapter 6, and still today in 2020 permeates the heart and soul of every human on this planet. And that's why we need to be born again. Jesus was the blameless, spotless lamb that was... Uh, led to the slaughter to, to be the once and for all atoning sacrifice for the sins of humanity. He is the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 to 14, gives us a picture of heaven. And in heaven it describes um, billions upon billions of angels that are just singing and worshipping God. And one thing that they're, they're, they're crying out is that Jesus is worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy. And then they say, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb, the sacrifice, the, the once and for all perfect, spotless, blameless lamb that was slaughtered and led to the slaughter for our salvation, for the reconciliation of all humankind to their heavenly father. Worthy is the lamb. And so we've got communion together this morning and Hopefully you've been able to raid your fridge or raid your pantry and get something that resembles communion. Um, you'll be forgiven if you could only find Pepsi and Doritos. They will work. Um, but why don't we take the juice and the bread, which represents Jesus' body broken for us and his blood that was shed for us this morning. And why don't we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We are coming into Easter 
And this is the, the, the pinnacle of our, our Christian experience is this moment in our calendar. And, and our response to Jesus and what he did for us and who he is and what he's accomplished, um, our response must be that of adoration and worship. You know, on earth as it is in heaven, in heaven they're worshipping, in heaven they're declaring worthy is the Lamb. So, so we want to make sure that we are worshipping Jesus on this earth as a healthy response to what he's done for us. To be casual or to be nonchalant um, or unmoved by this is basically to say, I don't fully grasp the grandeur of the gospel. I haven't fully understood the totality of what Jesus has done for me. And that's why I'm casual and that's why I'm nonchalant about it. But know this, James chapter 2 verse 9 says that even the demons believe and they tremble. The demons understand the grandeur of the gospel and they understand that their fate is sealed and they respond by stuttering and stammering and fearing and trembling because they've chosen to live a life apart from God. But when we understand what Jesus has done for us, the reconnection we have to the Father because of Jesus, then we should just be overwhelmed with adoration and worship and praise. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this. It says, The gospel, what Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus did, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But for you and for me who are being saved by God's grace, the gospel is the power of God. And today I want to remind us that the gospel is the power of God. And I want that to really evoke in us a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. So why don't we take this bread and take this juice and let's just have a moment in our living rooms, in our, on our back decks at the beach, wherever you are in your car, and let's just take the bread and take the juice, which are just symbols of his body and his blood that was broken and shed for us, the Lamb of God that would take away the world's sin. And we'll pause and remember him. Let's do that together. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, why don't we pray? God, we thank you so much that you love us, you care for us. And we don't know why things happen the way they do in this world. We don't know why you don't jump in sooner than we'd like to to rescue us from pain and suffering. But we do know that you are loving. We do know that you're not indifferent to our suffering. We do know that this is why you sent Jesus to empathize with us and to share with us in our sufferings. And that you promised that he'll be with us, that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us all our days. And we are not alone in this. And so Lord, we just pray that you would just give us a greater sense of awe and wonder and worship as we respond to you today. Father, we love you. God, we need you. As we close this morning, I just want to uh, extend an invitation to anybody um, who, who is yet to follow Jesus, who is yet to cross that line of faith and, and put their trust in him. Uh, just to the uh, right of your screen down here is a button um, that you can click that says, I want to raise my hand and commit to following Jesus. And if you haven't done that or if you've walked away and, and are not following Jesus at this time, I would encourage you now more than ever in an age of uncertainty where fear is rampant around this world that we can stop, pause, put our faith in Jesus and he promises that his peace would be in us to lead us and guide us. And we don't have to be fearful about what's going on in this world, but we know unlike any other religion in this world that we have a God that cares so much for us that he entered this earth as one of us 
to relate to us and reconnect us to him. So why don't we just pray this prayer together? And if you're clicking, uh, you're, you're committing your heart to Jesus for the first time or reconnecting with him, click that button as we pray. Dear Jesus, we choose to follow you today. We repent of our sin, Lord, that's ingrained in us and uh, that leads us astray. And we pray that you would just uh, refresh us from the inside out, that we would be born again, a brand new creation, your Bible describes it as. And so we just thank you today. We choose to cross that line of faith, put our trust and hope in you. Lord, I pray a blessing of every person that is doing that for the first time today or those who are reconnecting with you today. I pray that you would bless them and they'll have a real sense of your nearness and your presence in their heart and in their life. We thank you right now in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, please reach out. Please connect with us. If you want us to pray with you, hey, click the prayer button right now. We'd love to engage with you in prayer. But uh, hey, have a great day week, guys. We look forward to being with you next week for our Good Friday services, 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock, and again for Easter Sunday at 10, 2, and 6. Hey, God bless you. We love you guys. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.